Hello and welcome to Legal Thinking from RWK Goodman with uh, myself, Ed Wooten. And me, Liam Pape. Um, as everyone will be aware, um, it has been Pride Month this month of June. Um, but obviously, coming to the end of Pride Month, um, people want to continue to show support for people in the LGBT community. Um, so this week, we're with a couple of people from our firm um, about this um topic um, of allyship and basically uh, supporting people uh, who maybe don't have the privilege that some others may have. Isn't that right, Liam? We spoke to Anna Kersey Woodward and Amy Light. Anna is uh, the uh, LGBT champion uh, on our uh, EDI committee uh, and Amy uh, is also offers um, work or works with Anna to offer support for people, um, as you'll find out. So, uh, let's start off by defining allyship. So, allyship um, is defined by leanin.org as an active and consistent effort to use your privilege and power to help those without the same privilege and power. So, obviously, this can apply to a range of instances, whether you're being an ally to people with disabilities or people of a different racial background. Amy, what motivates you to learn about so I think I was raised by fairly liberal parents who were always very open and very accepting of people and sort of going out into the world and becoming aware of negative experiences my friends in the community has faced was heartbreaking really um also I really just love people I love hearing their stories and their histories um, and the connections that you make as a result um, and it's upsetting to think that people miss out on this by not feeling able to be their whole selves in the workplace which is where most of us spend the majority of our waking hours. Anna what do you consider to be good allyship? So um, for me I think one of the key hallmarks is um, of the key hallmarks of a good ally is somebody who shows up to help people with marginalized identities because that inspires systemic change. So allies help people with traditionally marginalized identities to feel more supported and other employees step up and become allies themselves and that spreads and that leads to then a, a total cultural change within something like a workplace. And I think inspiring that change um, is one of the greatest qualities an ally can have. Now, Amy, we read the leanin.org 2021 survey, which said that 77% of surveyed white employees saw themselves as allies to women of color in the workplace, yet only 39% worked to confront discrimination. What do you think makes it difficult to step up to be an ally or to demonstrate your allyship? I think it can be difficult um, because you're concerned that perhaps you don't know enough to help the situation or if you're concerned about any repercussions for the person that you're trying to support. Sometimes you're discussing highly personal matters um, and in the workplace, it's not something that historically has been done. So it's sort of new for everyone. But I think any action, however small, is better than doing nothing. 
I would agree. I think that's a really good point. I think if you're not sure, there are lots of resources around and about that you can consult. But as you said, inaction is worse than maybe even stepping to one side after you've seen something or experienced something and and offering that person one-to-one support at the time. I think we're encouraged here at RWK Goodman to not allow the bystander effect to take place and to step up and call out behavior that's unacceptable in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think it's just a case of keeping an open mind and advocating for people with less privilege than you. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we can all do, regardless of of the um, area of allyship we're looking into. You know, you can advocate for people with various privilege and various power that, that they may not have. So sp- speaking of, uh, if you just want to put a definition on privilege and maybe go into some of the ways that it presents itself. So we would have a look at a definition or as um, at our recent Pride event, it was referred to structurally embedded advantage as an unearned advantage we get from being part of a dominant group whose needs have been traditionally prioritized. So this might be something like looking at the inherent privilege of being white or looking at the inherent privilege of being male, but it can also extend to the systemic inherent privilege of being physically able um, and I think that's something that's quite important for everyone to have a look at, as uncomfortable as it might be. How are their lives impacted by having privilege or structurally embedded advantage? And what would your life be if you didn't have that privilege? So, Amy, if I could sort of extend that question to you and say, what's one area where you hold privilege that you take for granted? And what might your life be if you didn't have that privilege? I think for me, the privilege that I have is, well, I'm white, cis and heterosexual. Um, Although I am from a working class background and quite a lot gets made of the fact that I have now managed to qualify into what is considered a middle class profession. But some of this is just down to the luck that I've had. Um, I was raised in Bath that have really good state schools there. And I've always been encouraged by my school and my parents into going into further education. But had I been educated at a different school, then it may have been a very different life for me. Anna, what do you believe are your privileges? I think when I look at my privilege, one of the things that comes to me as one of my structurally embedded advantages is that I'm white. And I'm aware that this um, offers me more opportunities and puts fewer barriers in the way of progressing. Another thing I'm aware of is I come from um, quite a kind of socially privileged background. I was privately educated in Oxford. And as a basis of that, I was able to access some good universities, which then in turn enabled me to access some good jobs. And that directly contributes towards the lifestyle I have now. And therefore, my my background and my social class is actually a privilege that I have, as well as we've mentioned it a little bit before, being physically able to move around without any assistance and on a day-to-day basis, not have to consider my own accessibility um, requirements. And I think one of the reasons that unpacking privilege is so important is that you then get to understand how that privilege 
affects your experiences and you can relate that to how it makes it easier for some people to succeed than others or barriers that you might not be aware of that are in the way of others succeeding and then you can use that awareness to educate yourself and then eventually to support and advocate for others which I think is is really important. So explain a little about workplace inequalities. So I think workplace inequalities can sometimes be quite difficult to pick up on and things that you see on an everyday basis that you don't necessarily um, think are are inequalities. So if we have a look for, at some everyday examples, that might be assuming the privilege of another. So looking at somebody who you make an assumption about their gender or you make an assumption about their relationship structure and then assuming they have a privilege that they don't and are treating them accordingly. Um, that might be assuming someone's pronouns, assuming the gender of someone's partner, um, as well as assuming their position within a firm. I think one of the things that you get quite a lot in, in the legal circles is a perceived hierarchy within lawyers and there's quite a lot of ego involved in law firms occasionally and therefore I think that can help um, contribute towards workplace inequalities in everyday interactions and this um, sort of underlying um, expression of inequalities makes people with intersectional identities have to contend with intentional and unintentional forms of disrespect and microaggressions. Um, there are also a lot of workplace norms that can contribute towards um, inequalities, such as what facilities do we have available? You know, we're lucky here in the Swindon office um, that we have lifts and that from here, the um, the bathrooms are wheelchair accessible, but that wouldn't be the case in our old building. Um, the working hours, I know we have compact and flexible working hours here, but that's not going to be the case for every um, employee in the UK. And therefore, working hours can be quite tricky depending on someone's family situation or if they're required, they've got other um, responsibilities. The software we use, I think, is something that we take you know, take for granted. How accessible is a software that we use? Um, and how can we look at making that more um, accessible? Um, Amy, what do you think? I think that we also need to sort of consider policies within the business as well. Um, so statistically, it's more likely that a mentor will mentor somebody who reminds them of themselves. So this could give people an unfair advantage you know, white people, especially white male people. Um, so at RWK Goodman, they've taken steps to sort of readdress the balance. Um, we have reverse mentoring here, which is where a senior member of staff is mentored by a more junior member of staff and sort of learn about the challenges that they face in their careers. And we've also committed to the 100 Black Intern Scheme. The other area to consider is that in terms of promotions, statistically, men are more likely to apply than women. This, especially in situations where you have to apply for promotions yourself. Therefore, having the opportunity to nominate people for promotions, as well as having the opportunity to do that yourself, may potentially help to readdress this balance. 
I think that's a really good point, particularly, Amy, when we think about what you said earlier, where mentors are more likely to mentor people that look like them. Um, there could be a situation where the process itself is unintentionally um, more accessible to men than it is to people of other genders. And being aware of that from a hiring and, and, and promoting point of view would be a really powerful way for any business to, to reinforce the fact that equality and equity is at the, the forefront of what they do. And tell us a little bit about how power structures can be important. Power is a very important part of being an ally in that majority of us may feel that we don't have the power to affect change. For example, I'm a newly qualified solicitor and I'm junior in the firm. However, you can quietly role model change and speak up if you see anything that's unacceptable. This doesn't have to be publicly, but even just mentioning something to a trusted senior colleague, private time. um, I think a lot of us probably don't understand the power that we have to affect change. I think also some people might find it difficult to understand that they do have any power. I think people can feel particularly powerless sometimes and that can come with changes at home or at work or in any sort of sphere that we all operate within. But everyone does have power. Um, for me, I, you know, I think sometimes it's important to look at how my privileges contribute towards the power that I have. So for me, as I mentioned before, one of the things I'm very aware of is that um, I've been privately educated and that's allowed me to, to get to where I have today. The way I speak and the way I sound as well puts me in a position where I can talk to people who make change. I have a lot of confidence coming from my successes previously and also my hard work, but mostly because I'm aware that doors have opened in front of me rather than me really having to push them sometimes. And that um, puts me in a position where I'm able to set up meetings with people who, who make change and I can talk to the people I want to about putting things in place and setting up systems um, etc. And that is something where my privilege directly increases the power that I have. And therefore, my responsibility is to use that power and use that privilege to uplift those who don't have the same power and privilege as me. And that might include working with you, Amy, to say, is there anything from a junior Fianna point of view that I can do to support you? Or how can I advocate for you? What doors can I open for you to help you progress um, forward. Absolutely. Um, and that's always very much appreciated. Um, and also, I would say here at RWK Goodman, the environment that we're in is very much there isn't a hierarchy. We're, we're all equal employees and everyone supports everyone else. So we are incredibly privileged to have that. And finally, how can people show up as a good ally? I think this is the key information, is it? And what people will be listening for is to, okay, what can I do next? You know, people have listened to our recent uh, Pride event and now we're here. Okay, so what do we do? How can I show up? The first thing is going to be keep your privilege and your power in mind whenever you're taking any steps. Remember where you come from. Also consider your intersectional identity. And Zaina talked a little bit about that when they gave us their presentation. Where are you positioned and how are you best positioned to drive change? Are you in a position where you can 
gather lots of people together to discuss ideas? Are you in a position where you can actually speak to the board of directors? Are you actually a good person to look at putting uh, things out into the media, the podcast, for example, or are you particularly good on LinkedIn or social media? Everyone has a skill that they can use to drive change. And that comes from understanding our intersectional identities and our power. We've got a couple of tips on an individual, interpersonal and structural basis that you can use on an everyday basis to make sure that you're showing up as an ally. So, Amy, why don't you take us away with individual? So, I think the key thing and a good starting point for everyone would be to learn about other people's experiences. I'm not suggesting that you go and question somebody that you don't know very well. Um, But there's lots of materials, there's podcasts, there's articles, books, lots of different resources available to you. For example, you could consider joining the EDNI book club that we have here at RWK Goodman. Another important part is um, challenging your own biases and owning up and learning from your mistakes. So, an example of this is that if I accidentally use the wrong pronouns, I shall always correct myself and I will always apologize to that person. Another idea is to make sure that your work is as accessible and inclusive as possible. So, for example, using inclusive language. I think that can also extend to accessibility as well, can't it, Amy? Making sure that certainly some of the work we do, if we see clients, we ask about whether they want that in large font um, and we can extend that more into into the way we organise meetings as well. Yes, absolutely. Doing things like offering home visits for those unable to travel into the office or we can offer Zoom, Teams, telephone, however, whatever kind of meetings would be best for them. Um, also, ensuring that you use inclusive imagery and showcasing a range of identities. I think those are really important because we've talked about how mentors like to see themselves reflected in the people that they mentor or help out. And I think when uh, customers are approaching a business of any kind, they do want to see themselves reflected. It's something again at the Pride event that was discussed, you know, we want to belong, we need to be somewhere. And if we see a business reflecting our identities or our lives back to us, we're much more likely to go for that as a brand, I think. Absolutely. So, on an interpersonal basis, so this is um, something that you can do when you're supporting others and advocating for equity in your day-to-day interactions. So, this can be something as simple as asking for somebody's input. So, I recently launched the Unity Network here at RWK Goodman because I realized that while I could represent certain parts of the LGBTQ plus community, I wasn't able to represent all of them. There are experiences, for example, that bisexual people have that I just can't relate to. And therefore, I was using my power running the Unity Network and being on the EDNI committee to ask for input to help me strengthen the output of that to make sure that we are meeting the needs of of more of the community than before. Speaking out when you hear inequality, this could be something at the water cooler, this could be something said at a meeting, just naming it and seeing it and talking about it will help to show that you are an ally and that you do support others and you won't let inequality um, go by unchallenged. You should also mentor or offer to mentor colleagues in traditionally marginalized backgrounds and 
Amy's already previously mentioned the 100 Black interns, which is obviously fabulous, but recognising there is a disadvantage to people in traditionally marginalised backgrounds if they don't feel confident to come forward for mentee, to be a mentee, um, and therefore seeking those people out to make sure that they have had the opportunities they want to have to become um, to, to be menteed by you. I think crediting colleagues and communicating your values is another really important interpersonal skill to have. Making sure that people around you are aware that you value the work that they do and that you value the input they have to the team will make them feel more secure. And this can be not only from the work that they do, but also the values that they bring to the team. So, one of the things that I really like about Amy, and I'm going to embarrass you now, Amy, on a podcast, oh, no. but one of the things I really like about Amy is how consistently she shows up as an ally to me as somebody as a member of the LGBTQ plus community. And this sometimes includes calling out somebody when they get my pronouns wrong, which takes the the weight off my shoulders having to correct someone, but also allows me to know that Amy's sort of got my back as it were, if I'm not there to correct them for myself. So that's one of the things that, you know, I, I am really grateful for for Amy and how she does show up every day as an ally. I think affirming someone's experience of inequity is really important. You know, the firm talked a lot about if people were affected by the events in the Ukraine, you know, they would take time and the firm is very understanding. That's really useful. Giving someone space if something significant has happened shows that you are an ally and give someone that space to to spend some time with this part of their identity that is currently suffering. So, Amy, we look now at sort of structural. So, this is pushing for more equitable norms, policies and systems. So, this would sort of be at a managerial or sort of firm level. I think distributing speaking time in meetings is really important and making sure everyone's had a chance to, to speak up. And I would imagine this is particularly important maybe higher up in the firm where we need to make sure that the representation of all identities is there um, and ensuring meetings are accessible. We've already talked about it a little bit and including equality in the definition of success, I think is really key. You know, we can't be successful as a firm until we include equality in that core of that definition. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. That leads on nicely to what I was going to discuss next, which is having an objective criterion in hiring and promotions to make sure that those systems are as accessible and inclusive to everyone, but especially those in traditionally marginalised communities that may need you know, an extra boost and extra help. I think another important thing is to look at the solutions that we already have in making things accessible for people, so such as you know, use of accessible software. We can all learn from one another and that is the most important thing is to listen to each other and to come up with solutions collaboratively. I think that collaboration point is really important. You know, if there is somebody from a particular intersectional identity or community that is looking at making the world more accessible for them, you know, is that a solution you can adopt and credit them? You know, if there's somebody who's looking at making software better for people with visual difficulties, is that software that we can bring in uh, and and use their expertise and their experience to increase the value that we have here for well, for clients and for staff as well. I think to sort of round out the message is that there's no finish line when it comes to being an ally. As we said at the start, 
being an ally is an active and consistent effort to use your privilege and power to help those without the same privilege and power. And so, being an ally is something that you commit to for forever. Um, and doesn't have an end goal. Absolutely, Anna. I completely agree. I think um, the, ma- the key thing is that we keep trying as allies. We keep showing up. We keep calling out behaviour that is unacceptable or may make somebody uncomfortable and that we keep educating ourselves. So, Amy, just before we go, um, could you give me one tip that you're going to take away and try and put into action in the next you know, sort of couple of months. I am going to try to continue to educate myself um, through reading podcasts and things like that. And just perhaps being a bit braver in calling out any unacceptable behavior that I come across. I think that's a really great one. And, you know, um, I think it's things that we can all do is educate ourselves a little bit more and try and understand the experiences of other people. I've recently downloaded an audiobook of why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Um, and I'm really looking, forward to read. really looking forward to reading about that and educating myself. I think that's really important for me. I think I'm going to look at making sure that the work I do is accessible. I think accessibility is, is hugely important, whether that's accessible to people due to disabilities or um, kind of the situational space they find themselves in, making sure that I am an accessible space for uh, clients. I think it's going to be really important for me as well. So I think it's really important that if people are feeling unsupported or lonely, that they can join mine and Anna's little crew, little loving. (laughs) Absolutely. Anybody is welcome to approach Amy and I to talk about any issues that they are facing, whether that's in their career or personally. We are an open space, a non-judgmental space. Um, And if we can't help you personally, then we're more than happy to signpost you to the people who can. Anna and Amy, thank you very much for your time. Thanks to Anna and Amy there. Um, Just a quick note to say that they mentioned the 100 Black Interns programme, which is actually the 10,000 Black Interns programme. Apologies for the error there. On with the show. As as always, with all of our guests, but especially this week, um, coming to the end of Pride Month, it's obviously very important to um, offer support to people in, in the LGBT community the year round, not just change your logo for a month and then forget about it um so yeah obviously some really helpful tips there i'm definitely going to go and go away and look at some of their their um, ideas for what to read and what to listen to how about you liam anna said she was going to put a list together of uh things on netflix to watch so that sounds a little bit more open. oh that sounds yeah that sounds good i like a little bit of a little bit of couch time watching tv so as well yeah if i can educate myself at the same time (laughs) then sorted yeah i'll keep an eye out for that if you want to find out more about um what we do for equality diversity inclusion you can find out more on our website rwkgoodman.com um if you just head to our about us section you can find it there um yeah anything else you want to add liam perhaps about subscribing Yes, do subscribe. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to listen to more, we're available on all podcast platforms. So do smash that subscribe button. Smash it. Don't break it, though. It's very precious. So be careful. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.